What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Taz. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. You know, just because you think you got away with it doesn't mean you won't get caught. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Our players this week are Marcus Lemons, our victim, and Tamikia Johnson, our murderess. Tamikia Johnson was born and raised in Compton, California in 1980s to her parents, Patricia and Don Johnson. She had one sister that we could find that was five years older than her. Her sister's name is Teresa Johnson. Teresa said that her sister and her grew up with both of their parents and that their childhood was really amazing. Tamiki started playing basketball when she was young and it turns out she was really good. She actually was extremely smart. She was very driven and she graduated from Gardena High School with honors and then went on to attend Cal State Dominguez Hall on a basketball scholarship. Now I heard from a source that Tamikia, she had a bit of an anger problem. Like I heard in one source that she used to be gathering people to jump bitches in college. I only heard that from one source, but apparently she believed in jumping, which even the baddies don't jump. Yeah, I don't. There was also a little bit of evidence of some weird, possibly violent, threats of violent behavior once she got older and once she started dating. So she had this boyfriend in 1997 his name was Corey jones he was her boyfriend at the time when they both went to cal state and tamikia heard through the grapevine that Corey was messing around with another woman and she wasn't having it so like anybody she pulled up at old girl's house found Corey there told homegirl i don't know if she just had knee surgery or if she just got injured she told that girl if my knee wasn't messed up i whoop your ass and she left she left she grabbed Corey's clothes she burned them and then put them inside of his car so you was gonna find these burnt ass clothes and then when he's like why did you do that what would you do that for why would you do that and she's like because you lied and you're messing with chevron and i knew you was and that was the end of that so it's december of 1998 we're at cal state Tamikia is dating now Kadron Terrell and one night Kadron and his roommate are coming home from a party and Tamikia decides that she is going to scale the eight foot tall fence go over it pull up to his place starts banging on the window trying to peek in trying to see what he's up to what he's doing his roommate is like <laughs> Tamikia's like I'll have somebody come and I'll have him come and shoot up your house 
And she was laughing when she said it, but she was like name dropping people. And these were like people that were well known for being gangsters around the area. And it was like, whoa, you gonna have so-and-so come in my house? Like, hold on now. That would spook me. Like, you you dropping these niggas not by name? Like, you know them? (laughs) So remember, this is the conversation that Tamiki is having with the roommate. Kadron, the boyfriend, hears the conversation. So calls Tamikia on the phone. And she's like, yeah, I said it. I'm going to have so-and-so and so-and-so from the track new park crips come in bush, uh, to shoot your shit up. And they're like, what, are, what is going on? The next morning, they wake up. Him and his roommate wake up. Why they car's windows busted out? The roommate's car is busted out. Kadron's car is busted out. The neighbor car, neighbor didn't even do nothing. But windows busted out. It was too close. If you live... In an apartment complex, and your neighbor has a crazy significant other. Do not park near them, ever. You heard it here first. So, of course, all of them ended up filing a police report, and the roommate went down to to Tamikia's mom's house to confront Tamikia. And when the mother answered the door, and the roommate was telling her what her daughter did, Tamikia is inside of the house, yelling from inside of the house, Yeah, I did it. Yeah, I did it. What's up? Now, I'm not sure if anything really came of these charges. I didn't see anything about her getting any jail time. But as far as school went, as far as her grades went, she actually was doing very well. She was focused. She graduated with a bachelor's degree, and her bachelor's degree was in criminal justice. This was her passion. After she got her bachelor's, she decided that she wanted to be a police officer, specifically a California Highway Patrol officer. So she enrolled in the academy and ended up ranking number 14 out of 140 graduates. After she graduated, she worked as a field officer in the West Los Angeles area and as a member of the Cal Grip Detail, which dealt with gang suppression. She was also assigned to the headquarters as a recruiter. So career-wise she was really taking off she had been working for the police department for what seven years at this point and she was a spokeswoman for recruitment she helped advertise the job she was sometimes on like tv ads and radio ads trying to get people to join the pigs she loved what she did so one of the things that Tamikia really liked to do in her free time was to go bowling she actually was really good Um, And while she was out bowling, she met herself a man who was also bowling and took it very seriously. And his name was Marcus LeVar Lemons. Marcus LeVar Lemons was born on February 5th, 1977 in California. Now, pretty sure he's from Compton, but couldn't quite narrow it down. Um, We don't have a whole, whole lot on Marcus, but I do know that he worked as a barber and used to give niggas the best lineup in the neighborhood. Was very well known for it. And another hobby or passion of his was to bowl. And he was good, like, thinking about going pro good. In his neighborhood, he had won most of the amateur bowling competitions. He had, in the local bowling alleys, he had several trophies. Like, my man's could bowl, okay? He did have... A child from a previous relationship from before he met Tamikia. He was with this woman for 10 years and they were engaged for a bit of time and they even had a son together, DeMarco. Um, around the time Marcus met Tamikia, DeMarco was about 13 years old. They're at Cal Bowl. 
Everybody from the amateur bowling league is there, you know, doing their little game or whatever. It's 2005, and the two of them run into each other, and they hit it off immediately. Like, they already got something in common. You know, I bowl, you bowl, we bowl together, right? They dated for a year, and they moved in shortly after and got married a year later in September of 2006. The following year, they had a daughter named Nevaeh Savannah, and the three of them lived in the Compton, California area still. Now, according to Tamikia and a few eyewitnesses, Marcus began being abusive soon after they got married. She said that within the two years of marriage, Marcus was abusive approximately 15 times. She said she never felt comfortable or safe enough to tell anybody, let alone the police, about her abusive husband. Now, one of Marcus's family members says that he witnessed Marcus being abusive towards Tamikia at one point or another. And there's also a report of a stranger who saw Marcus being abusive towards her while they were out one night. Now, this person who saw this did end up calling the cops. And an incident report is on file, but nothing really came of it. According to Tamikia, she experienced severe intimate partner violence from her husband, and it was usually in front of their daughter or both of their kids. Marcus was not only physically abusive, but he was also psychologically abusive towards her. And whenever he got the chance, according to her, he didn't feel any resistance towards enforcing himself in other manners. Now, on the other hand, there are eyewitnesses that say Tamikia is the aggressor in her and Marcus's relationship. So one night, it's 2008, Marcus and Tamikia, they're out with a friend. The friend's name is Derek White. They all go back to Marcus's apartment and they start drinking together. The night goes on. Tamikia accuses Marcus of looking at some type of streetwalker chick walking down the street. I can see myself being drunk and saying that. And you looked at the streetwalker bitch that had a pussy out while she was walking down the street. I saw you looking at her ass. And Derek said that after she kind of like, she definitely kind of went off. So then Marcus turned to the friend Derek. It was like, this what you want? I guess maybe they were having a conversation about like getting a, getting Derek a woman. He's like, this what you want? This what you looking at? This kind of bitch right here? Uh, a few seconds after that, Marcus goes to the back of the house. Derek hears gunshots and Marcus comes running from the back of the house. He's giggling and laughing. He's like, man, this girl crazy. She just shot a gun up in the air. The fact that you thought that shit was funny and cute is a red flag already. But listen... Or was he just laughing it off because he's so embarrassed that she's showing her ass in public? They're showing your ass in public and there is shooting a gun in the air. That is absolutely showing your ass in public. (laughs) But that is over the line. That has crossed the line. There's another incident where Tamikia was said to be the aggressor that also happened in 2008. So they were with another friend of theirs this friend's name was Darren Stillwell so on this particular day on this particular day there was a homeless woman walking out from behind Tamikia's apartment she asked the homeless woman to leave and I guess like the homeless woman wasn't moving fast enough and Tamikia went to her car got her gun fired a shot on the concrete and of course scared this lady Darren runs to Marcus and is like yo your wife is crazy and Marcus is just hey, like, bro, yeah, bullets, I, ricochet. right. And Derek, the thing is, Darren tells Marcus, your wife is crazy. And Marcus is like, yeah, I know. I know that. 
what? She's just out here pulling out a gun willy-nilly. Like, what? Tamika always has her gun on her. She's always carrying one of her friends, June. Her friend June said that she stays strapped. I love the name June. And June was actually a part of the amateur bowling league with Marcus. And she said that on a couple of occasions, Tamika would be like, listen, y'all don't want to mess with me. I stay strapped. And it's scary if somebody says it and you believe it. Because there are people that I know that stay strapped. I am starting to become one of those people. But I'm not out here being like, just so y'all, mother, y'all know I got this heat on me. I just want to let spit everybody. I have the heat. And I'm not afraid to use it. No, it's for protection and protection only. Anyways, not for scaring homeless women that probably just wanted a piece of food out your trash. So it wasn't just June that always said that she had her gun. Her other friend, Felicia, said that she always had a gun. And she said that one time when, in 2008, they decided that they were going to go to Vegas. They were going to get a hotel in Vegas. And she happened to have the room next to Tamikia and Marcus. And she said one night she heard them arguing. And they were just arguing and arguing and arguing. And I would hate that on my vacation if I hear y'all arguing in the next room. Like, we are supposed to be relaxing. And then she hears Marcus yell at Tamikia saying, you threw an iron at me. And then, he, of course, he calls her a bitch. And Marcus is like, get off me, get off me. A bunch of times and a few seconds later, he busts out of the room. She she hear him say, I'm out of here. And he leaves the hotel room. Now, when she saw everybody the next morning, Marcus had three long-ass scratches on his neck. And Tamikia had a bag of ice on her wrist. So... There was clearly some tussle that happened. June, the one from the bowling alley, she also was a witness to this abuse toward Marcus. Like she knew that she had the guns on her. And then one time when they were at the bowling alley, she saw quite a few disagreements between Tamikia and Marcus. And she said that once Tamikia started drinking, once that liquor got in her system, she started, started yelling. She started saying crazy shit all the time. And one time, Tamikia threw a bag of bowling supplies at Marcus after they got into an argument. Another time, Tamikia told June, like, straight in her face, she's like, girl, sometimes I feel like killing Marcus, and I know I could get away with it. I know I could. He'd just be pissing me off. Like, girl, even if you felt that way, y'all just be saying that stuff. Not to nobody else. Right, and June was telling people, like, listen, he, he she beat on that nigga often, okay? Another time, they friend, they was around their friend Tommy Newman, and he saw Tamikia snatch up Marcus. Like, she would grab him by his shirt, snatch him up like a kid, yell in his face talking about not making any money at the barbershop, and their wedding ring was cheap, and you don't even have any friends. How you gonna say we don't have any friends if we at the bowling alley with all my friends? We here. These are my friends. You're just not letting me talk to them because you want to argue. Everybody was saying that, like, Tamika was a nice person in the grand scheme of things. But once she got that liquor in her system, and you know, at the bowling alley, they ain't nothing to do but bowl and drink. Once she started getting that liquor in her system, she just, like... Now, one day, it's February 15th. We're in the year 2009, and they're driving home from a bowling tournament. Is bowling, like, a year-round sport? Do they have seasons since it's indoor? I would love to know. Uh, they had a bowling team in my college. A couple, I know they have a couple of college bowling teams. But anyways, February 15th, 2009, like I said, coming home from the bowling tournament, they are arguing and the argument escalates and Tamika is like, pull over, pull over, pull over. So Marcus pulls the car over. When he did, she runs to a truck stop. She calls 911 and she says, I need help. I need help. My husband has my gun. 
They argue, the police come, settle them down, and they decide that, you know, we love each other and that they're going to make it up to each other. That's how it be. You hate each other one night, and then next thing you know, let me just take you on this fancy date. Don't we love each other? You just need to reset and find the vibe again. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. first place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land would come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Rated R. Streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Instacart helps you get beer and wine delivered in as fast as an hour. So, whether you need to fill the cooler for tailgate season or fill your glass for Pinot by the fire season, you can save time by getting fall sips delivered in just a few clicks. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Must be 21 or over for alcohol delivery where available. Instacart. Add life to cart. So on February 21st, just a few days later, Marcus and Tamikia go on a little date to the local TGI Friday. The two of them, they sit at the bar and they order drinks. They eat. They enjoy each other's company. Now, they done finish eating everything. And Tamika, she gets up and she leaves her husband's side of the bar and walks up to the other side of the bar and starts talking to a whole nother nigga. And girl, <laughs> I don't know what they talked about, but this <laughs> conversation was not a two minute conversation or a five minute conversation. For about 17 minutes, she was over there talking to this man. So niggas was pissed. Right. So Marcus is over there and he's getting a little upset. Okay. Like making faces at her. Like, come on now. I'm ready to go. Like I'm pissed off. I want to hang out a while. I'm ready to go. She hugs this nigga, y'all. She hugs him goodbye. And Marcus, he like, he on the phone and he pacing and whatever, getting restless. And he like, come the fuck back over here. She gonna even go back to the table. She just, she goes and pays their bill and heads straight to the car. She's like, I ain't trying to have no mess. Whatever, we we leave it. Somebody from the restaurant says they leave around 10.47 p.m., right? Now, they get in the car, and of course, we are arguing, because what the fuck was that, right? Now, Disrespect. Tamikia is drunk, tipsy, however you want to call it, but she is also in the car with a half a cup of wine. And she's driving. And we know how Tamikia gets what she drinks. So, she ends up pulling over at, like, Wilmington Avenue and Asteria Boulevard. It's near the 91 freeway, and Tamika gets out the car, and they're arguing, and she's kind of beating up on Marcus a little bit, you know. And she's like, you know what, fuck it, I'm walking home. She gets out, she doesn't bring anything with her, not even her purse, which has her weapon in it. Now, they're pulled over at the intersection, and a woman named Janie Wright and her daughter and her three nieces, they're leaving like a nearby movie theater and they come into this same intersection where Tamiki and Marcus are. And they see this car parked and they see the two of them arguing and they see it getting physical. And they were like, okay, Tamiki or the woman was driving, the man's in a passenger seat. And she then sees Tamiki walk off. 
And I guess she got wrapped up into the drama because she stayed for all of this. She sees Tamikia walk back. The man's foot, the man Marcus, his foot is on the ground. And as the woman gets closer, they hear a gunshot go off. The gun was on the passenger seat floor, in her purse, whatever. But she says she knew it was there. He knew it was there. There was a struggle for it. And the gun just went off. After the gun goes off, the bullet ends up striking Marcus in the head and killing him. After she shot him, she goes back in the driver's side, drives to her parents' house, and asks them to call 911. Hey guys, Marcus is dead in the front seat of my car. Just pulled up. Call 911. Tamika's mom calls 911 and says that someone has been shot by a gun. LASD deputy Curtis Brown arrives to the house around 11 p.m., which is like 13 minutes after they left TGI Friday. So time is moving by pretty quickly. The deputy is greeted by Tamika and Tamikia. I'm sorry, Tamikia. Tamikia is standing in the driveway with her parked car in front of the house. And immediately Tamikia is detained. She's put in the backseat of the police car. And he noted that there was a very strong odor of alcohol on her breath. And you and you and I and we and Tazzy, we all know how Tamika get when she start getting that cone liquor in a system now. So she gets detained. They open up Tamika's car passenger door and they find Marcus Lemon's body laying there with a gunshot wound to the right side of his forehead. They're there, they're processing the scene, doing their detective work, and Tamikia is taken down to the sheriff's station to be questioned. Now, it's around 2 a.m. The detective, Detective Steve Rubineau, arrived at Tamikia's mom's house, and he started his preliminary investigation. So he looks in Tamikia's car. He finds a purse on the driver's side the floor of the driver's side. It has the 25 caliber semi-automatic gun. The gun was loaded with five rounds and there was one in the chamber. The hammer on the gun was in the cock position and the safety was in the center position. On the floor, directly by the driver's seat, there is a shell casing from the same gun. So the gun was fully loaded, one bullet's off. In the driver's side cup holder, there was a styrofoam cup Halfway filled with wine, as you guys know. And Marcus's baseball cap wasn't on his head. It was actually laying in between Marcus's legs. Pretty much from the beginning, she was claiming self-defense. She said that she had to shoot her husband. It was the only self-defense because my husband's been doing me wrong, beating me, cheating me, mistreating me. So the police officers, they're like, okay, it doesn't really look like there's much to this story, but we really don't have anything to hold her because, you know, self-defense and... She's a woman, self-defense, that pretty much works out. So they let Tamikia go. Now, even though they let Tamikia go, there's still an internal investigation because, hello, she's an officer. And one of the reasons they let her go is because they said that she was an officer, that she wasn't a flight risk. Did she lose her job? Absolutely not. Not yet, because I guess it's still an onboarding investigation. She hasn't been found guilty, but she was placed on a non-enforcement admin position tamikia isn't officially under arrest at this point the police are still investigating marcus's murder and in fact their investigation probe lasts almost a year 
then it takes the DA's office almost another year to weed out what the detectives found and make sure, you know, they have a case. Because, you know, at first there's a lot of community outrage. Like if you look at the news videos at this time, everybody's like Marcus was a great guy. And because she's CHP, nobody's doing anything about his murder. Where's where's the justice for Marcus? Even his baby mama, his oldest son's mom was like, I ain't never known this man to be abusive and we dated for 10 years. And this woman is just walking around free. She said, I know this girl to get drunk and crazy. She said she done showed up to my son's basketball games drunk. She ain't got no boundaries, no rules. And yeah, everybody's like feeling like she's just getting all this special treatment, right? It didn't help that when the sheriff's department arrived at Tamikia's parents' house the night of the murder, that CHP officers were already there. And the sheriff's department suggested that maybe y'all were notified before the 911 call was made to make sure things were clear and in order for her to get away with what she's done. Throughout the course of this year-long investigation, they got an autopsy done. And they found a lot of discrepancies from what was first reported. Now, the report showed that Marcus had a gunshot wound on the right side of his forehead, close to his hairline, and the bullet went from right to left, front to back. And then it went downwards. Now, he also had bruises on his left forearm, which Dr. Lisa believed to be defensive wounds. She said she based this on the bullet's trajectory and the gun had to be in a position above and to the right of Marcus when it was fired. She said, in her opinion, Marcus died of either a contact or near contact wound because there was no stippling or soot around or near where the wound was. But there was soot on the thick membrane on the surface of his brain. So and she's this like. represents what again? Like just residue from the gun. And so she's like, it's not oh. on his forehead, it's on his brain matter. When it was fired, it had to be fired close to his head because why is the soot touching his brain? You know what I mean? Right. Well, yeah, they were in the car, so that makes sense. I was like, like it, that makes sense, but I guess the soot also represents that it was like maybe more gun to the head than like right. we fought and we both reached for the gun type Right. Shit. It's not giving the gun was in the middle and it went off. It's getting you put that gun to his head. So based off of the trajectory, the blood flow, and I guess Marcus vomited right after this happened, and his vomit pattern, him being in the passenger seat, Tamikia standing near the passenger door, they're like, eh, I don't know, it's not it's not looking real self-defensey like she's saying it was. Marcus had weed in his system and he had a blood alcohol of 0.03, but... He wasn't driving, so he can be as drunk as he want to be. Right, but Tamika was driving. She definitely was throwing him back. Yeah. So she was arrested, obviously. She was arrested 10 days shy of the two-year anniversary of when Marcus was killed on January 11th, 2011, and charged with first-degree murder. Now, this took a while and they said that it took a while because they just had to do a really thorough investigation. And then the state also had to do a thorough investigation and the prosecutor had to really, you know, get their case together because they're coming up against a police officer and they had to really make sure that they had their things together. They don't want to be sitting up there and the prosecutors, they got nothing. So now she's placed on non-paid leave from the department. 
she was still able to work this entire time while the investigation was happening. She had a $2 million bond, which she did post, and she was free until her trial started on January 12th, 2012. While she was awaiting trial, she was also being sued by the stepson, DeMarco Lemons, and he filed a civil suit claiming that the police department and Tamikia were responsible for Marcus's death and that they were being negligent and they robbed him of him and his father's relationship. And they said that the police department, like, y'all are negligent because. It's your employee. And apparently work sent her to anger management, but she actually never went to anger management, but work never followed up to make sure that she actually went. So now y'all are being negligent too. So everybody needs to pay. While we're at trial, the defense portrays Marcus as an aggressive individual that was a drunk and that Tamikia was this victim that was just really caught in the crossfires of Marcus's rage. Tamikia took the stand in her own trial and she testified that Marcus was physically and emotionally abusive towards her on multiple occasions. She said that they often talked about divorce, but they didn't want to go through with it because of the daughter. Tamikia says that Marcus threatened that he was going to take the daughter away from her, saying that I'll get us a divorce and I, you'll never see this girl ever again. Tamikia uh, continues to testify that on February 15th, that was the day that she ran off of the truck stop and called 911, that Marcus promised her that he would not touch her anymore, that they would go home and that he would leave for good. And it was just, it was just too much. But somehow between that and their date night, things changed. And he was like, no, nah, I ain't going nowhere. Like I'm not leaving. And she decided on her own that if you're not going to leave me, then nigga, I'm going to leave you. So... This is how the night of the murder went, according to Tamikia. This is Tamikia's story. She says, <clears throat> Well, that night, I picked Marcus up from his parents' house, and we decided we were going to go to El Torito, a Mexican restaurant. We had dinner, we had margaritas, and we decided that we wanted to keep the party going, so we went to TGA Fridays in Compton's. We had two beers, we had two shots of Patron each, and one of the guy friends was at the bar. Same story about him talking, her talking to him, 17 minutes. And then we got into the car. We headed home and Marcus flips his lid. I don't even know why. She said, he was saying that I was a disrespectful ass bitch. He was saying that I was a hoe. And she was like, and I was just driving the car. And Marcus reached over to me. He started choking me. He said, I'll kill your ass, bitch. And that's when I just, I just got off the freeway. I stopped the car. I told Marcus he could walk home. And Marcus told her, and Marcus said, no, bitch, you gonna walk home. And then he snatched the keys. He snatched the keys out of the ignition. And, and, and so I... I decided that I was going to walk to my mother's house and I reached for my purse on the driver's side floor because I needed my purse so that I could walk to my mother's house. And then he decided that he was going to snatch the purse from me. And you know, I keep my heat in my purse. So I just knew that he was reaching for the purse. 
And once he had the gun, I was in fear for my life. So I ran. I ran and I ran for about 10 to 15 feet away from the car. That's not a long, far, far away. I ran and I ran for 10 to 15 feet away from the car. And I could see that Marcus was looking in my purse and he was looking for that gun. But then I saw that he dropped the gun. The gun jumped out of the purse on its own and it hit the ground. And I was like, oh my goodness. So I ran. I ran from those 10 to 15. 15 feet towards him to grab the gun before Marcus could grab the gun and I don't know if the gun safety was on I don't know if whether the hammer was cocked I don't know but we just started fighting over the gun and then I just squeezed the trigger and it fired accidentally I didn't even know I just I I was scared I, I didn't want him to die I grabbed it tight and it just fired and they ask her while she's on the stand so what happened after that she's like well I put Marcus's leg in the car because his leg was hanging out the car I decided to drive to my parents' house. I parked in the middle of the street and I ran to the front door. When I answered the door, my papa was there. And I asked him to call 911 because Marcus was dead. They're like, do you know that you intend to kill him? She's like, no, I thought I was going to hit him in his upper chest. I didn't expect to kill him. He, he, I never tried to hurt him. I would never want to hurt him, even though he always hit me. And the defense is like, listen to what the lady says. Also... Don't forget that we have this 911 call from the 15th where she did say that he had her gun. Now, her lawyer brings back up the incident that happened on February 15th, you know, when she ran out of the car down to the uh, gas station or truck stop or whatever and called 911. Now, her lawyer says this is important because what happened that night parallels what happened the night of February 21st. This is why she wanted to drive. The lawyer continues to insist that Marcus's murder was not premeditated or intentional. It just made no sense, and she was only acting in self-defense, which led to his tragic death. He also mentioned that the gun wasn't her service weapon. It was a gun given to her by her aunt, so this is not like this is some gun she touches or, or, or you know is trained on using or uses in the daily. Everybody comes out to testify. All the friends that we heard about earlier in the story, they were here talking about how Tamika be out here acting crazy and Marcus don't. Marcus's family said that they knew she was lying from the very beginning because Marcus was calm and collected, rarely got angry or upset, and would never put his hands on a woman. They also had a fellow officer as a character witness. This officer's name was James Jefferson, and he testified that in 2008, he went to a New Year's Eve party with Tamiki and Marcus. And over the course of the night, everybody had drinks and Tamiki appeared to be a bit tipsy, but not drunk. He said as the night goes on, Tamiki got upset with Marcus because somebody was texting him all night long. And so Tamiki is yelling at Marcus, give me the phone. And then she went through it because what else she going to do with it? She looks. She doesn't find anything too crazy in his phone. James says she reportedly came back inside much happier, but, you know, the word around the office and uh, what they say that the water cooler talk is that uh, Tamikia was an excessive drinker. A firearm expert testifies that the gun used in the murder was a single action handgun, which means you had to cock it back manually for the shot to be fired. A jury of eight men and four women deliberated for the day and came back with a guilty verdict on on a first-degree murder charge and for causing great bodily injury. As they read the verdict, Tamikia collapses and falls to the ground underneath the table. They put her on a gurney, handcuffed her ass, and took her to the hospital. 
as she was escorted out the courtroom, a lot of people were there yelling, we love you, Mikia. You know, we know this justice system isn't fair. We're going to fight for you, yada, yada, yada. Her mom is like, that girl works so hard, and she has so much to give this world. Her dad said she overcame all the obstacles that a black person can overcome and still just wound up in this position. Um, Her parents took over care of her daughter. After it was all said and done, both sides of the family were saying they weren't aware of any abuse on the respective end. Like, Tamikia's parents are saying they don't know her to be abusive, and Marcus's family is saying they don't know him to be abusive. So it's still kind of deadlock, you know, family against family. Yeah. Um, at the sentencing, it took all of 13 minutes. Her lawyer asked for a new trial. He asked for a lenient sentence. He asked for the sentence to be reduced to manslaughter. He argued about her mental state at the time and that the evidence supports a very hostile, combative, and emotionally provocative exchange between the two of them. The judge was like, mm, no, I'm going to honor the jury's decision because I believe that the evidence strongly supports what the jury has come back and said. Tamikia, during the sentencing, she is just head down and boo-hoo, and she is just so sad and distraught that this could happen to her. And the judge hands down her sentence of two consecutive terms of 25 years to life in prison for the first-degree murder and the use of a firearm to cause great bodily harm. So all in all, it was 50 years to life, and her first eligibility for parole will be in 2031. When the sentencing was being told, all you could hear was her mom yelling out, I love you, Tamikia. And then a huge argument just broke out between the two families, and they had to, you know, rush her out of there because things were getting very heated, and, you know, people don't know how to act in the courtroom. Mm-mm. Obviously, she was going to appeal this conviction, and she did in 2013. And according to Tamikia, the trial court erred by allowing the bailiff to demonstrate how the murder weapon was used because Tamikia chose not to be a part of that portion of the trial, which you can choose to not be there. You have the right to be there, but you can choose not to be there. I guess she chose not to be there, and that's when they demonstrated. And the demonstration was due to a juror asking a question about how the gun was operated and I, I i believe the juror like requested a demonstration and so like at the this point ruled, i want a demonstration too right but tamikia was not there when the when the um when the juror asked this because she chose she opted out of court that day and if something happens that you don't know about baby you opt out of court you have every right to be there So she's saying that, like, oh, I missed the demonstration. And they were like, listen, how we already said that the gun worked, because you were there when we told about the gun. This is the juror coming back on a day you weren't here. Just because you weren't there for the demonstration doesn't mean the demonstration was wrong. The demonstration and the operation, the known operations of the gun that you were there for lined up perfectly, so they denied her appeal. Now, I mean... Tamikia's family is really still fighting for her freedom. They said that she was an abused and battered woman. 
they are still arguing from Tamikia's viewpoint. In 2020, Tamikia's 13 daughter was 13 years old at the time and actually wrote a letter to Governor Gavin Newsom about how the absence of her mother was very traumatic and how it greatly impacted her life and just asked and begged the governor for clemency on her mother's behalf. And there are a lot of people that have spoken up for Tamikia asking for clemency on her behalf. A quote from that letter says, quote, I think about what if my mom killed and I would have to live with my father? Would he be abusive to me? Would he do the same stuff he did to my own mother? There are days that I wish I could go back in time and stop my father from harming her. Or if I was like an angel and told her to get her stuff and leave with me and somehow it worked. The things I've heard from articles and the news don't explain all the facts. They leave out details to make it look one-sided. Most of the internet is biased and not open to judgment about the victim. I didn't know what life was like before, but now I do. I see the world as this one judging place where we as people have to live based on what other people say. Nobody takes the time to listen to a person, like my mom, who lived through that violence. I know that my family and I are the ones who have been there for her through thick and thin. But I came across two sides of my family my mother's parents, and my father's parents. I'm shared by both both of them. I feel like I can be passed around sometimes and I just sit there and think about how one side of the same family hates her and I go over and act okay about it. But I'm never okay with it. Yeah, parent, now, like I can just imagine it's always like niggas, you know, you got, always got people talking shit about the other side of your family, but like it's a little deeper because somebody's, somebody's in jail forever. If somebody mm-hmm. is dead, you know what I mean? Right. And there is the whole big question on who was the abuser. And and then as a kid, from the kid's point of view, you who do you listen to to tell you the truth? Your mama's mama or your daddy's mama? Or and then you also have your mama telling your mom who you can speak to telling you. So who is the actual abuser? And even if even if he wasn't, that's not what she's growing up to believe. And if he was, then she's just in this weird limbo place. But I think it's very hard to compartmentalize that even at 13, you know? And like, this is a lot for her to take on. She was only 18 months at the time of the murder. So she really doesn't know and can't speak to either one of her parents or personalities or if there was abuse at the time. All she can do is take her mama's word for it because her mama is the one here standing Right. 18 months when the when the murder happened. But that's also another almost two years that she was with her mom. But her mom can't (laughs) speak to the relationship of the mom and the dad because you don't remember your dad was gone when you were 18 months old. Right. Now, if you Google Tamikia's name, the first thing that pops up is a change.org, a petition asking for signatures so that she will be released from prison. She has her own website, which she continues to proclaim her innocence and now about the brutality that she has faced while in prison. So while she was in prison, there was a transgender woman that was housed with her. And apparently the corrections officers, they were like, "Ooh, we're going to put there. We're going to put her with this woman on purpose to see how long she's going to last because we want to test how, how what she can do because she is a police officer. People really be in there just playing with people's lives. Right. And while she was there, she was abused by her roommate. So she starts this petition and her petition is that 
she's basically standing and saying that in the criminal justice system, people need to be put into the prisons, assigned to the gender of prisons of the gender that they were assigned to at birth. Right. So right now in California, inmates are being housed in prison based on their asserted gender identity. Tamikia was attacked by a transgender woman and she's suing California for, quote, housing men with women, which is not what it is. Right. Right. But she says that that's what caused her to be attacked. Right. Right. According to Tamikia's sister, Tamikia was housed with a person who was assigned male at birth and the person was known to be abusive while outside of prison. She had violent and abusive tendencies towards other women and was housed with Tamikia off the recommendation of a sergeant. Now, Tamikia's sister also says that the sergeant was, you know, making a joke, saying how long she could last. And this is what led Tamikia to her position. She says she is housed with, quote, a vicious and dangerous biological male inmate. She said that she had begun having anxiety attacks and guards weren't protecting her. She's having insomnia and all this stuff and that her time in prison was much worse than the time she was married to her husband. She said, I feel like I can't trust anybody. Nobody cares about my interests. No one cares about my mental health. No one cares about my safety. So my whole issue with this is Tamikia is now trying to use this as fuel to overturn the Senate Bill 132 which allows transgender prisoners to be housed in the respective prison that they identify with. And she's really trying to fight to overturn this. And it's not like you want to say that somebody's safety is more important than the others, right? And so I feel like it is something that cannot be approached as simple as if you were assigned male at birth, then you should be in a male prison. Because that is so much more dangerous than it is for a transgender woman to be in a cis women's prison, right? Mm. Like, if you look at the rates, people who have been um, working and studying research for this, they say that the rate of attacks of a transgender woman abusing or attacking a cisgender woman in a prison, very low does it happen? Yes. Is it a trend? Is it like on the rise? Is it at high numbers? No. But if you do the reverse, they are 10 times more likely to be abused than any other inmate. And not just by the other inmates, by the guards. They don't get their treatment to continue with their gender affirming care, their gender affirming medical care. They don't get they don't get protection. They don't get anything that they need here. And it makes it really hard. And I feel like there are some black people who have a tendency to be so for the people, my brother, my brother, right? We got to have each other's butt. But as soon as you can get to somebody who you see lower than you now they deserve all the things that you fight against you know like niggas want to be out here fighting for civil rights and then take that shit away from somebody else i really don't understand how that logic and that mindset works now i feel like everybody should feel safe and if you really want to attack the problem and the issue i don't think it's 
I don't think the big issue is where the transgender people are housed. I think the bigger issue is who's supposed to be protecting you. Right. What who's supposed to be ensuring your safety? People safe? But they don't they don't put a policy in place to keep cis women safe in a prison. They and but see there they, are certain policies then, in place, but who's enforcing it? Nobody. Y'all are all part right. of the game. Right, especially when if you know, like say for instance that this woman what is abusive has a history of being abusive, not just by her charges, but she has been abusive to other inmates. The fact that the guards they decided to house Tamikia as a joke—that's not okay. Because that just as easily could have been a abusive cisgender woman who came in there and beat your ass every day. You know what I mean? Right. So the question is, how are you making sure that anybody that enters into the prison system is safe? Yes, you are there because you committed a crime. Yes, you are there to serve your debt to society. No, you do not have all the rights that you had before, but you should not be unsafe. You should not, you should be, not be under cruel and unusual punishment. And that's across the board because the prison system is not safe. It doesn't matter if you're cis. It does not matter if you're trans. It doesn't matter if you're non-binary. It does not matter. And if you were especially a part of the LGBTQIA plus community, then it's doubly unsafe. Mm -hmm. So how do you make sure? I don't, and like you said, Tazzy, I don't think that it is a one quick fix. There's so many things that I just feel like in America as a whole, they think that there's just, oh, we just have to check a box. And, you know, they have those flow charts. If you say this, then we say this. If you say this, then we say this. It's not, it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So overall, the prison system sucks. Nothing new. And that is this week's episode. All right, y'all. It is time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I didn't do it, but if I did, girl, you've got to learn how to keep your mouth closed. If you're going to do some sneak stuff, you got to do, if you're really trying to pop off and off somebody, you have to be Patty Miss Perfect in public. And if you're not, then everybody's going to know. They're going to know. Because listen, if he was abusive, they didn't know. Right. Um, I didn't do it, but if I did... I don't think I would have put the gun to his head and then said it was self-defense. That's literally execution style, girl. Like, um, yeah, that execution style is crazy. Um, absolutely bonkers. I didn't do it, but if I did, everything I have to say has everything to do with keeping your mouth closed. Everything I have to say has everything to do with keeping your mouth closed. There is no way that you should have that many friends that be able to testify against you and how crazy you are. And I'm sitting here thinking about my friends and how they'd be able to testify against me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Mariah stayed, you know what I'm saying? And she was going to do some shit. And they're going to be like, did she? And I'll be like, well. She well. She did tell me that. <laughs> Did you tell me that one time to keep uh, bail money? Well, when you say it like that, it does sound bad. But that's just how right. she is. That's just how she is. I didn't do it, for, but if I did, I don't know. I just feel like when I'm drunk, I get handy. And I'm all for changing the locks on somebody's door. No, you said you were going to go. Don't turn back now. <laughs> you said you were going to go. Don't turn back now. You ain't got to, your mama said you couldn't go home. Oh, that's what it was. See, and then I start getting petty. See, I do it. What if I did? I really, I really hate when the, these stories that lead these kids without any parent. 
like the daughter never really got to know her dad the son knew you know the son is 13 you know loved his dad and just it's taken away from him and I know that's so hard for a kid to lose a parent and it's especially hard for a kid to lose a parent in that kind of way like this is your stepmother right like it's not like he got sick or some stranger took him out he was supposed to be family you know um I think that's all I got you ready to read some reviews and get out of here pro no parole oh <laughs> no girl I'm sorry you're not having no it? no not having it and you're a bigot why ew <laughs> Um. Yeah, I don't know. People are definitely like fighting for her t- release. The evidence did not sway me. I probably would have voted the same way. Um. Nobody has anything bad to say about this man. You couldn't find out a single person to testify against this man. But there were so many to testify against you. Right. I'm a pass let you sit that out um sorry for your kid though i'm sorry that she has to suffer through that but it's mm-hmm. more consequences from your own actions like this is all thing you you're a police officer so i don't understand is these police officers doing these things that don't make sense you know all about evidence and how that shit was gonna look all right uh let's read some reviews um if you'd like to leave us a review you can pretty much anywhere anywhere if you're listening on apple leave us a review on apple podcast if you're listening to us on spotify you can't write a review just leave us a rate thingy if you are on audible you can leave a review there yeah amazon music whatever kindle i don't know you can leave a review a review there if you can't go to facebook go to our public facebook page and leave a review there you can do it anywhere here there everywhere thank you guys for watching our little like tv day tv debut that was cute that was mm-hmm. cute mm-hmm. If you missed it, I'm sorry. I must let you guys. <laughs> What'd you say, Tazzy? If you missed it, I'm sorry. Well, the the playback link is now out. It's been all over the discussion group today. So okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna let y'all know Tazzy still hasn't seen the whole thing because I had to convince her to watch it after, when there was only like 15 minutes left. Because <laughs> you know how she gets y'all. I just started sending her pictures of me. And she said, how do I look? And I said, look for yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, look, she said, you, you look really good on your close-ups. And I just started saying everything else. She said, focus on the good part. You look really good on your close-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so thank y'all for listening to or watching that. Uh, thank you, Court TV, for having us. Uh, tag Court TV and tell them to give us our own show. Tag Oxygen tell them to go on a bidding war. And whoever gives us the most money. Um, anywho, um, this review comes from Jade, Darcel Jade. Darcel says, two episodes a week, please. No. Five stars. I absolutely love this show. Mara and Taz are great storytellers. They get the facts and do amazing research. I appreciate the effort they put into the show because they make my work days go by so fast. I was upset that I'm all caught up on the podcast, but I'm going to go back and play them from the beginning. Keep up the amazing work, ladies. I look forward to watching the show grow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Um... (laughs) This one says, Auntie's Babies is doing it. Listening to these two young misses delve into our stories and keeping it funky with their opinions. 
my little guilty pleasure. Thank you, Auntie. Thank you. All right, that's the end of the show, guys. If you want to keep up with us, you can. There are plenty of ways to do it. You can email us, sistersukillpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us just to say hi. You can email us if you have a case suggestion. You can email us if you'd like ad space for your small business. Anything, sistersukill at gmail.com. You can tweet us, sistersukill. Follow us on Instagram, sistersukillpod. On TikTok, sistersukillpodcast. And you can join the discussion group where we just chit-chat and have a good time and everybody flirts with Taz and everybody just wants to see if they can shoot their shot with Taz and Mirage just chop liver. <laughs> Listen, I told Mirage, I said, you make it very clear that you are in a relationship and they don't want this. No, I don't. You don't? I don't make it clear. Oh, you make it very clear. In case you guys didn't know, I'm a, Where? Not, uh, I'm a serial monogamous. <laughs> not your I could be in between. I mean, I'm not, but I could. <laughs> Listen, they know. Follow us. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Listen to our show. Um, Anything else? I ain't got nothing. Talk to us. We talk back. Bye. Um, Bye.